Welcome to another great episode here with Black Equity. This is Black Equity Premium Sneak Preview. All this month of April, we will be giving you a sneak preview each week into our new exclusive Black Equity Premium exclusive content. On our new platform, you will be getting conversations more in depth like this one. You will be receiving uh, content about what's going on in the culture, who you should be investing with, uh, the types of different companies that are now offering opportunities for investment, uh, conversations about strategic partnerships and meeting the different people that you can strategically partner with. A lot of the great stuff that you are receiving already on this podcast, you're now going to receive it more in depth. So click on the links in the show note to join us over at Black Equity Premium and enjoy this sneak preview as we journey into understanding how to properly value artwork with Garen Barrett of Contemporary Equity. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Podcast, and this is the Black Equity Premium Preview. Black Equity listeners, we are here for another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm definitely excited about this conversation. Whenever I'm able to sit down with a fellow podcaster uh, in the space, I, I definitely love hearing different perspectives. On today's show, we have the host of Contemporary Equity, Garen Barrett, on the line. Garen, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your platform. All right. My name is Garen J. Barrett. I am a former public accountant, and I use contemporary equity to break down the financial processes and equip creatives, meaning artists and supporters of those artists being collectors. I break down those financial processes so they have a better understanding of how the art market works because it's highly opaque. Um, the systems that are in place are not um, as open to the masses and try to keep a lot of the uh, information close to their network so that they continue to build wealth amongst themselves. So having the knowledge coming from uh, an accounting background where I was analyzing pro business processes at very large companies and consulting with them to improve those processes. I took that background, that business acumen that was built through that experience and started to deliver that type of insight to an industry where the creatives may not have those type of skills in order to operate in the business that they're in. Got you. 
So there's a lot of artists out there uh, in the art world who love being creative, but don't necessarily understand the financial aspects of that world and how to profit off of it uh, and how to maneuver financially. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, sir. And so you're able to uh, consult with them. How do you end up uh, going about working with uh, said artists? Okay, so we we do free consultations with the artists to first understand how they're organizing, documenting their process, as well as how they exhibit their work. Uh, once we go through and get an assessment of how that's being done, um, we try to step it up to a level to where that artist is presenting themselves in the best light and that they're have a, a good process in place to begin with. Um, then we would catalog their work and catalog is an ongoing process of basically documenting an artist's life work. Because what I found through my research and through working with other artists is that artwork that is well-documented absolutely has more value than artwork that is not well documented. And that speaks into when you get to art officiators, art historians, art appraisers, and other people that work in the financial sector of the art market, they're looking for documentation. And documentation speaks to um, provenance, which is ownership, history of artwork, meaning for the artist, who has collected their work? Uh, where has your work been exhibited? Where you've been in magazine publications, whether your work has been, um, where it's basically been out in the world, which all speaks to the artist's brand. And if the artist is not capturing all of that information, a lot of times, that artist's work can be undervalued because they're dependent on outside sources to speak for them and they don't have the responsibility or not taking the responsibility and the ownership of displaying that to the work from the artist themselves. So what we do is we get all that together in a package for the artist that makes a good business presentation to a collector, a potential uh, campaign that wants to work with that artist. So we we build up that brand by by first getting a solid foundation, and that speaks to their catalog. I, I like what you're saying because I think a lot of artists, they may not even view themselves as a, a living, walking, talking, breathing business. Have you found that when you first interact with, with artists? Are they seeing themselves that way? Um, some are, um, especially with the advent of social media, which has absolutely changed the the communication lines between artists and the people that support the artist. But the up and coming artists um, are basically trying to get their work out there, and I believe that if they just keep putting work out ever it can be sold or wherever it can be seen that they're they're going to do well and when it comes to getting to a level to where you have some financial stability in your artwork there are certain processes in place that you have to have in order to consistently concede, uh, succeed um, with your brand and those artists are creating value with every piece and they absolutely have to treat their biz their art as a business because they their work is the business wow that's very interesting so you took uh this knowledge that you that you had and you build a platform you have your contemporary equity podcast what are some of the topics that you get into uh over the last uh over the last year on the podcast so first I started with um, going back to the very basics, how the art market is set up, meaning um, the art market is split into a primary market and a secondary market. 
the primary market is that initial sale, whether it's between an artist and a collector, an artist and a business um, that wants to use art in their campaign for marketing purposes, or the artist selling through a gallery. The secondary market is the resale of any art. Okay. And the secondary market is the auction house. So when you hear the record sales of hundreds of millions of dollars of artwork, that is in the secondary market where art has changed hands several times and the price get, keeps getting bid up and up and up and up. And that's how it makes it to these nine-figure marks. Hmm. Okay. As an investor, you're piquing my interest. So if I'm an investor, do you think I need to be paying attention to the secondary market? You, what I would say is there's, there's no guarantee that investing in artwork or buying a piece of artwork that the value of that work will skyrocket. Right. Or even if the value does skyrocket, there's no guarantee that you'll be able to find a buyer at the time that you want to sell it. So the best thing to do is to actually, to, to get the best upside on art, is to find emerging artists that are starting to create art early in their career. That way you can buy in just like any other investment you buy in when it the cost is much lower, mm-hmm. and then over time that cost that that value appreciates. This is not something that you can uh, make a quick buck over time, right? And, and through my studies, um, for example, I'll give you one: um, John Mikhail Basquiat, which was a a very famous African-American artist um, was selling work in the 80s. And one couple bought one of his pieces for $21,000. That couple collected a lot of artwork, but one of those pieces was passed down to their daughters. And when they, when when that couple passed away, they passed down the work to their daughters. The youngest daughter put that work in auction and it sold for $110 million. Wow. So, so that was an extreme example of a transfer of wealth with one piece of artwork that took 30 years for them to realize that return. And I think that's the key, that 30 years part. This is a, a long-term investing game, if you even want to view it that way. Yes, sir. So um, you mentioned uh, earlier uh, with your podcast, um, one of the episodes that I came across was uh, you talking about uh, Swiss Beats putting out a an app to actually have a place for artists to go uh, to, I guess, you know, catalog or, or, or put their artwork together. Can you tell us more about that app and other apps that people within the, uh, within the art world are using to, uh, you know, leverage their artwork? Sure. So Swiss Beats is in development of an app called Smart Collection, and the emphasis is on the art. So it's SM Art Collection. Um, one of the things about the art market and both in the primary and the secondary market is in the primary market, if you go into a gallery, sure. how the financial process is set up is the gallery is going to charge a commission in order to sell your artwork. Okay. And that's typically 50% of the value of the artwork. So if an artist steps into a gallery, they need to understand how that financial process is, how that financial process works so that they can position their pricing in a way that where 
okay, if I expected to charge $1,000 for this artwork or receive $1,000 for this artwork, go in with the understanding that I'm going to have to charge $2,000 to receive that versus just going in with 1000 and then taking that 50%, and now you're only getting $500 for that same piece of work. Right. Right. And then uh, on the auction side, the artist is not um, receiving any funds because that's a secondary sale. So uh, people are profiting massively off of artist work and the artists themselves are not benefiting other than their name being attached to a sale. Right. And so th this app is going to help reduce some of those fees. Absolutely. So Swiss beats app is going to allow the artist to receive 100% of the sale off of their artwork okay, and also have business insights built in so the artist can have an understanding of how they're doing and have the analytics in order for them to, to analyze how they're doing on the app and be better business people and conduct their art business um, better because he went through the Harvard program, mm -hmm. um, which took a, uh, a lot of his uh, prowess from the music business because he's a producer and he's receiving publishing off of the music that he produces. So he's receiving um, residual income off of his work. Right. So what he's trying to do is bring that to the visual artist space so artists can receive residuals off of their work because as we said before other people are profiting off of the artist's work but the artist um, is getting nothing so this is just one way to disrupt the market um, he has put in a, a lot of work and has several initiatives and this app is just one technology component to essentially free the artist i'm excited when i heard about it i think he showed up on a few interviews and he was talking about it i said wow this is going to be revolutionary uh especially not just for the artists but the people who want to actually you know uh keep up with what's going on you mentioned earlier about finding emerging artists is this a way to find emerging artists or what are some other uh methods of finding you know these emerging artists that are coming into the art world um, other methods of finding them is is really um, a lot of the newer artists, especially younger artists that are growing up in the social media um, era, are putting their work out on Instagram. So you can see their work online, um, and they have their different e-commerce um, processes, whether it be a, a Shopify or a Squarespace or something like that, which are very valuable assets to have. Um, but the thing about it is it's, it's very scattered. And the fact that Swiss Beats has taken the initiative to create a marketplace for his entire audience and the people that he has influenced over to come to his platform in order for you to see the work, buy the work, and the artists are going to get 100% of their their sales is a massive disruption um, in the market. And I believe that once the app is out, because uh, it's, it's currently in beta testing, yeah. that it's going to massively disrupt the market. And a lot of people are going to be are excited for it to come. And we're, uh, we're trying to, I'm, I'm actually trying to, um, you know, let more people know about it because of my perspective. Being a creative myself, I, I didn't mention that. Um, I also create artwork. Okay. So I'm, I'm very passionate about it because I've been creating artwork since I was about five years old. Nice. <laughs> so um, growing up, wanting to be an artist my entire life, um, but I was actually very apprehensive about 
pursuing art as a career um, for the, you know, the common societal reasons, um, feeling like I wouldn't have um, a false sense of security really in a job um, being an artist. And that led me to go into accounting and finance um, because that was, you know, a, um, for what it's worth, a secure job. Um, but my, my, my passion wasn't there. I, I used that experience to gain uh, business acumen and gain technical skills, but ultimately um, those skills are now being leveraged to help the artist um, to win, help the artist to be financially astute so that they can really um, get the most out of their craft because I'm an artist too and I, I want to see the artist win. So let me ask you this, when you're going through your journey of being an artist, uh, when mm -hmm. did you know that, you know, the way it was set up, you know, previously with the galleries and uh, everybody trying to uh, eat off the artists, when did you know that this was mm -hmm. uh, a problem? Did you know early on or was it just something that you learned through experience? Um, well, once I started going to galleries and sitting down with the gallery owner mm -hmm. and being that I had some business background, you know, there was a different conversation that we were having. Being that I'm an artist and we can talk about the business and I can understand why this business model is because it makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world from a business perspective. For the gallery. Um, correct, because they have overhead, mm -hmm. right? Um, they um, are operating a business day to day, and it would behoove them to bring in artists, bring in artwork, because whether they sell artwork or not, they have to operate their business. They have utilities, everything that's going on staff. Um, so it makes sense, but what I'm saying for the artists is for them to understand that going in, right. not ultimately to think they can go into a gallery and change that process. But if you're going to go that route, at least know what you're getting into and don't go in because you will be taken advantage of if you don't understand that going in and don't wait until they tell you you know, own your craft, own your gift, and step into these these spaces knowing how the business operates and you usually can do better business. Well, with you being on the, uh, the business side of the art world, do you think that this is going to change the way galleries operate or they're just going to keep moving as business as usual even though technology is shifting the way that, that you know, we interact in this world? Well, the galleries are already um, starting to change okay. because because not the not their traditional business model in a sense, but they're starting to adopt other models uh, being in the online space, I'll say. Um, because the artist can bypass the gallery with their own website, their own social media, where if they can co connect directly to their audience, that is, um, and it is a marketing channel, a sales channel, then they don't need the gallery. Right. So the gallery also has their online presence. And of course, artists want to get gallery representation because that speaks to their brand. But it's not a requirement anymore because you do have an online platform to do that. Um, so galleries and even the auction houses are now adopting more online resources and dedicating more of their staff um, the new technology 
and the new online platforms so that they can meet their audience because um, essentially the the customers don't have to go to the gallery anymore to experience the artwork. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of this episode that you work with artists and supporters of artists. Give me mm-hmm. a picture of who is that? Who are some of the artists are the types of artists you work with? And then what is uh, supporters of artists? What does that look like? Okay. Um, oh, I'll, I'll mention one of the, one of the artists I'm currently working with okay. um, is a well-known um, African-American artist. He is the official artist for the Olympic Games. Wow. He, he had, is commissioned by the Olympics Committee for the commencement ceremonies um, dating back to the 1996 Olympics that was here in Atlanta. Right. Um, he travels all over the world with the Olympics um, doing those um, commissions. Um, so I am cataloging all of his work because like I said before, even though he had accomplished a lot in his life, as far as art is concerned, um, that information is still scattered. Um, so I'm compiling all of his information to tell his story because even though he's well known amongst the people that he's worked with, the world in a broader sense is not aware of his work. Right. Um, being that, that as large as the Olympics is, um, he also has four pieces of artwork in the Smithsonian Museum nice. of, of African-American history and culture in Washington, D.C. Right. So I'm, we're cataloging his work and we're actually going to do a documentary so we can tell his story and share it with the world to not only um, preserve his legacy, but also encourage other artists, especially African-American artists, that you can do work on this large scale. Are you noticing that a lot of the uh, artists that you end up working with are African-American or African descent? Is that typically uh, who you gravitate towards? Yes. Um, It's important being um, African-American or having Jamaican heritage myself. Okay. The, the artists that I work with, it's important that we, um, I'm supporting them, um, not exclusively, but I'm supporting my, my own because it's important that we build wealth within our own communities. And there's so many creatives. And I believe that being a creative is, is a responsibility to communicate messages from our culture, from our experiences, um, everything that goes on in this life. So that responsibility um, has great value and takes great, I, I take great care in contributing the services that I have to artists so that those artists can flourish. You know, earlier you gave a really great example uh, about a piece of art that at one time was bought for $21,000. And after the transfer of wealth, after 30 years later, it was 110, uh, worth 110 million. You talked about cataloging, you talked about telling the story. What are, what are some of the major ways that a piece could go from uh, 20,000 to $110 million? How does something be, uh, become deemed that valuable? Okay, so in in the in the secondary market, which is the auctions, right? Sure. So what happens is an artist, their brand, if their work is being sold and exchanged in the secondary market. Uh, for example, um, a piece goes up for auction the first time, 
and let's say to, to put some numbers behind it, let's say it's a, that $20,000 $20, piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it goes to auction and it gets bid up to 25000 right? right? Somebody else buys it. Now that's the new value on record because that was the latest sale, right? And then that person holds on to it for a little while and then they, it goes back to auction. This time it goes up to 35. And it goes on and on over and over and over and over again. And each time that sale happens, every other piece that that artist's name is on also sees a bump in value because now you have a new sales record for that artist's work. So you compound that over 30 years Now you have one piece of work that is worth, like I said, $110 million and other pieces of work that have that same artist's name have now increased in value because one piece sold for that high. So the other pieces also have that much value. Now, when you say that, you know, it went up to 21 to 25, I know we're using an example here, but then you Mm -hmm. mentioned uh, on record. And when you say on record, is that the same thing that you're doing as far as cataloging or is that two different things when you say on record? So uh, the on record is the auction record. Okay. And for the artists themselves, it's important that they are keeping track of their records. They're, They're not, it's not their sale because it's, it is again in the secondary market, but they at least need to have an understanding of what their work is doing so that they can present themselves to a potential client and not send them somewhere else to say, oh, if you buy it from such and such, that's what it's worth, what it is worth. Right. The artist has a record of everything so they understand they 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 have a financial um they have a financial record of what their brand which is their name as an artist is doing that way they can capture some of that value and then if they put out a, a new original piece they can say to that client hey this is a new piece but my records show that people that have purchased my work before this is the value of it so you can you can present yourself to a potential client potential business partner in a better light because you have a better understanding of the finances behind your work this is this is very very strategic and uh very uh very detailed if I have mm-hmm. uh, a piece of art, what if it ends up in a whole nother country? How do you keep track of, hey, you know, my artwork sold in Australia? How do I keep, you know, how do I find out about that? With, with before, before the word technology is now, how did someone do that 20 years ago? Well, they couldn't really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, hold on now. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you, you couldn't unless you heard uh, your name or saw it in an article yeah. uh, 20 years ago. Um, you know, the Internet was just starting. Right. Um, you really didn't have good records um, or, or digital records, I would say. Um, it was very hard. And you had you uh, a, a circle of people that kept all that information to themselves because they could. Um, so it, it, today the, with the advent of so much, um, the advancements in technology, I'll say, um, something like, uh, blockchain technology where, um, I know we're still in the beginning stages of that, but something where an artist can tag a certificate of authenticity to their artwork meaning that anytime that that artwork moves, that tag moves along with them and it has to, it's gonna, it it essentially creates a digital audit trail or paper trail. So that is, you can't dispute. 
or chained. Um, so using blockchain technology, distributed ledgers is one way that artists now can keep track of their work because the platform is there, the artists and the collectors just have to understand how the technology works so they can leverage it for their benefit. So these people were really out here, and I, I guess I get it, but they were out here knowing this information, knowing that, you know, this particular artwork had went from 20000 to seventy five to 200000 to 400000 They keep it to themselves. Uh, they don't necessarily tell anyone. They have valuable pieces that they have access to. And because of uh, the lack of technology at the time, uh, they're able to kind of bid on things without other people knowing how valuable uh, artwork is. Then the internet comes, or uh, the expansion of the internet, and it changes the entire game. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And so the internet itself has really shifted the entire landscape of the art world. Correct. That's awesome. Correct. That's awesome. You know, I, you know, I, I haven't necessarily uh, been entrenched in the art world. I've always been fascinated with it. But to kind of hear how, like you said, how blockchain now is coming in, how technology is, uh, is coming in now with the apps that are being developed, it's like this is an opportunity for people who really want to take this serious, whether it be on the artist side or the investor side, to really get into this, to, to this world. Absolutely. Um, and now that, and, and I'll mention one more thing um, about the secondary market. So the secondary market is, is, of course, getting a fee for selling the work. Okay. So they have an incentive for the price to be higher as well. Ah, okay. Okay, so they're going to push for that price to get as high as possible within that on the auction floor because that affects their fee. So it's it's you know it's it's the wild wild west really <laughs> because I I mean, it. it's not regulated. Yeah, there there's no one that can say you can't charge above this amount or whatever. It's 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 not regulated. So the the large auction houses, which are Sotheby's, Christie's. Phillips and Heritage, there are there are others, but those are the, the main four. Um, absolutely have incentive to uh, raise those prices up as far as they possibly can. And that's um, due to how they set up the auction floor. They the people that are involved in those auctions um, have accounts with with them. And they present the artwork to them on the lot. And it's like, hey, you may be interested in this. Get them either physically on the auction floor or you can bid online during the live auction. And it's similar to, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like car auctions mm -hmm. or Barrett-Jackson sure. or other um, types of auctions, you know, the more people you get in the room that are high profile, the better chance of you making a, a higher sale. So it's the whole system and network that um, benefits your your contemporaries. Now, from an artist standpoint, I, I'm completely clueless to this, so I'm really dying to know this. Is it better to do less art uh, to keep uh, I guess the the supply and demand at a certain level, so you don't have thousands of pieces out there. You only have these ten, or you only have these twenty, or is that a is that a wrong strategy to have? That's a good point you bring up. So once artists, it's it's twofold really. Okay. Um, now artists they want to get as much artwork out there because they're trying to get exposure. Okay. But the artists that are doing well are absolutely limiting how many pieces that they do. Gotcha. To, to you know, it may be six, it may be 10, it may be, it's, it's a number that's not very high. 
Um, and then what they'll do is they'll have those six to 10 original pieces and then they may sell reproductions or prints of their work that are, of course, at a fraction of the price, but it's still getting exposure for their original piece of work. And that original piece of work increases in value because there's only one of those and several copies, right? So right. It, it, it gives the collector a sense of being in an exclusive club because I have the original and, you know, and there are several copies out there, but the one I have is, is real from the artist. When these museums go and uh, I'm not sure if they're getting the copy or if they're getting the original, um, when they go out and, and get those pieces of, of art, are they paying the artist for that? Or how, how does that relationship work when you have a high profile museum taking in uh, new art? Um, a lot of cases it's on loan. Okay. Um, they'll have a, an exhibit where they'll have that art there for a period of time. Um, if it's a part of their permanent collection, in more cases than not, it's a donation from the artist or the foundation that um, coordinates with the artist. And um, another part of that is if you donate to a museum as an artist, understand the financial benefit that you can get from that. So even though the museum is not paying you, you can absolutely get a charitable contribution deduction on your tax return for the value mm. of the artwork that you donated. Now you're dropping gems on us. <laughs> okay. And you're in that particular museum, which raises the profile of you as an artist. Am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. Wow. That is correct. Besides the actual artwork, are there other mm -hmm. ways for an artist uh, to get paid, whether it be speaking engagements or I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the what uh, what you're going to, to tell me. But are there other ways for an artist to get paid outside of the physical artwork? Yes, um, you, you spoke to speaking engagement, um, but you can also teach okay. art classes. Um can teach art classes. You have things like um, like a paint and sip, which is a very viable way to not only get more exposure and get more community involvement, but um, you charge a fee for people to come and enjoy an evening and you teach them to paint something. Nice. Um, um, other things are... Um, just speaking engagement um, clearly to to just you don't have to necessarily do a pain and sip, but you can go to um, an art class being an artist and speak to those students or speak to people that are in the art business about how to go about being an artist. Um, so that's another way you can get paid. Um, and there's, there's a few others that, um, uh, a lot of artists have foundations that they start, um, which is a way for them to receive, um, funding, um, to run their operation, their, uh, nonprofit operation, mm -hmm. which is another source of income. Um, but it, of course it's set up like a nonprofit. Yes. But Nonprofits are absolutely ways of um, bringing in income to operate um, what you, to do what you're doing as an artist, um, as a nonprofit. So, like I said before, the artist that I one of the artists that I work with, the Olympic artist, he also has a foundation where he is able to to go around the country with his art, teaching uh, students, teaching other artists um, about the business. And that's another source of income for him. Um, yeah. So before we let everyone know how they can reach out to you, 
listen to your podcast, how they can work with you. My last mm-hmm. question is how important is relationships in this space, whether it be on the artist side, the investor side, how important is relationships when it comes to this world? It's very important. Your your network is so vital um, in order for you to get into conversations with people, to get in the room, for them to introduce you to their colleagues. Because uh, one thing just in business or in life in general um, is very important who introduces you to someone. Ooh, um, say that again. That's a gem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it, it's very important in business and in life in general uh, that the person that introduces you is the right person mm. uh, because you know we live in a world where perception is 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 highly regarded and when someone introduces you that is is of high value of high caliber in a person's mind and they introduce you to one of their high caliber friends or business partners, you're in a better situation than if you were to just bump into them somewhere on the, on the street or something like that. So um, it's very important that not only that you have that relationship, but they're meaningful relationships and you have good level of communication, uh, effective communication in those relationships because it speaks to your integrity as a person in general, but especially as an artist, as a business person. So it's very important to have good relationships. Garen, thank you so much for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. Let us know how we can check out your podcast, how we can connect with you, and how we can work with you. Sure. The podcast is Contemporary Equity. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You type in Contemporary Equity Podcast, it'll come up there. Again, my name is Garen J. Barrett. My website is contemporaryequity.com. My social media, Instagram, is Garen J. Barrett as well as contemporary equity. Thank you so much. Are there any final thoughts for emerging artists or emerging investors looking to enter into the art world? So it's very important that I'll start with a collector. Collect what you like, but understand the value of what you're collecting. Be able to look at a piece of artwork. If you, if you have an emotional connection to that work, I would say go for it because it's something that you're going to live with, something that you're going to enjoy. But also look into the financial implications because that very piece of artwork could change your life and change the life of your family. Now, do you, this is just a... a... Uh, a last question that I'm thinking of here. If I'm uh, an emerging investor, are you somebody that I can reach out to and uh, for consulting to understand the art space uh, from the investor side? Absolutely. Um, my email as well is garen at contemporaryequity.com. And what I do is also compile all of the information that is available and research it and break it down for someone that is on the outside that wants to understand, being that I have the perspective of an artist and the business, I'll break it down to you so you have a better understanding and you can make a well-informed decision on artwork that you want to purchase. Garen J. Barrett, Contemporary Equity. Thank you so much for joining us on the Black Equity Podcast. We look forward to speaking with you in the future. And the doors are open if you want to come back on, especially when Swiss finally drops that app, man. I'm ready. I've been waiting (laughs) months and months for this. Uh, When he drops it, I definitely want to have that conversation with you, either on this podcast or on yours, man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. All right, Garen, you there? 
Yes, sir. Great episode. We are truly grateful for today's guest. If you are interested in becoming an approved Black Equity Strategic Partner with this company or one in the past, simply send us an interest inquiry to the following email, djm at djmotri.com. Once again, djm at djmotri.com. Let us know your name, your company, your services, and which guests you are interested in partnering with. As an approved partner, you will have exclusive access to our network and have first opportunity at future partnerships as well. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast. How did you enjoy this episode? How did you enjoy this sneak preview of Black Equity Premium? Is it more in depth? Are you seeing that we're going to be uh, figuring out where to place your money, who to connect with, who to talk to? It's a lot of what we were doing before, but now we're going to get more in depth inside of each different industry that we've explored before. Now we're going to be able to look at something and decide how we can properly value something. And that's what we're going to do in each industry. So hopefully you enjoy this episode and there's more to come on each week as we bring you another sneak preview inside of Black Equity Premium. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Go ahead and head over and sign up now for Black Equity Premium and get access to a full conversation about how to build your seven figure empire. You do not want to miss this conversation. There will be no sneak preview for this. You want to have access to this conversation. How to build your seven-figure empire. It is live right now on Black Equity Premium. Click the link inside the show notes. Talk to you soon. I'm DJ Motri of the Black Equity Network.